Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Rabin, in his own words, is the story of the famous groundbreaking politician and military leader Yitzhak Rabin, and it is an autobiography told in his own voice through a combination of rare archival footage, home movies, and private letters. His personal and professional dramas unfold before the viewer's eyes. From his childhood as the son of a labor leader before founding the state of Israel, through a change of viewpoint that turned him from a farmer into an army man who stood at some of the most critical junctions, junctures in Israeli history. Rabin, in his own words, brings the man, flesh and blood, back to life. And we're joined today by the director of this wonderful documentary, uh, Rabin, in his own words, and that would be director Irez Laufer. Welcome to Film School. Hey, welcome. Uh, well, let's, let's start. Um, sort of what was the... How did this project come about? I mean, it's interesting because it is all in his own words. I'm curious about, first of all, your interest in this uh, initially, and we'll get into how you've, you you were able to um, allocate all of this different uh, tapes. I think I wanted to make a, a film for the to mark the 20 years assassination, uh, but I knew that I want to make it only if I had this uh, unique way to do it. And in a way, I was tired of listening to how people that talked about him and in interviews, you know, the people that admired him and people that despised him as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought of making this film in that way, it's a message by itself. You can kill a person, but you cannot kill his ideas and words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the idea behind uh, uh, making this film that way. Now, I don't know how old you are. I don't know how much of... Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm old enough. Uh, I am... Metro Bean the first time when I was five years old because oh. I grew up in a Kaduri Agricultural Boarding School when Rabin went to to boarding school and when he was the chief of staff in 1967 he came to visit his old school and practically ne- landed in our backyard and I was going to my parents the chief of staff arrived in an helicopter arrived in an helicopter so of course I had this uh, um, old uh, uh, liking to Rabin but. Uh, but definitely, I made the film for not for glorifying and uh, his name. I think I made the film for the future. Yeah. Well, th- let's let's for our, our our listeners who may not be as familiar with Israeli politics and history as as you are and I am, I believe uh, that let's talk a little bit about where he fits in in terms of his uh, military career and then moving forward into his political career. I think he, he, you can see it in the, in the film very interesting. Robin didn't want to be a military man. He grew up to be to be a laborer in a kibbutz, and actually he got a scholarship because he was such a good student. He got a scholarship from the British mandate to go to Berkeley to study to be a water engineer. Mm. But because of the Second World War and the Independent War, he stayed in in Israel and fought for the independence already in 1948, and then he decided to stay in the army and to be a professional military man. And and when he was the chief of staff, he was the one that led Israel to the in uh, in the war of '67. But he always saw the military achievement 
as a goal for achieving a political mm-hmm. uh, solution. He never wanted the territory in order to settle them and to expand the land of Israel. He always saw it uh, as a means to end the conflict between the Arab and the Israeli. And that's, that's the way, I guess, he transferred from being a military man to a state person. I wouldn't say a politician, first a state person. Mm-hmm. And then his first... Uh, a job after uh, finishing his military service. He was the ambassador, Israeli ambassador to the America from between 68 to 73. Mm-hmm. Well, what an interesting period of time in American history as well as Israeli history. Right? Yeah, it's very interesting. I think for the American audience it will be very interesting how what Rabin thought about Vietnam in 1968. Yeah. Yes, it was very interesting because he... he uh, he said that he asked the American uh, politician, what is your purpose uh, yeah. in the war of Vietnam? And the answer that he got it was, uh, we want to break them and to... Uh, and then he said that you can't break a nation of 20 million people and you have to have a... a the military people have to have a, a military target. Right. target. And yeah. if they don't have a military target, you're going to lose the war. And it's very interesting to see it in the film, actually. Yeah, actually, as we as we recall, it, he's, the U- U.S. military official replied something along the lines of "destroyed the humanity of our of our." Oh, yeah, of our, yeah, our yeah. Impo- you, you remember? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I lost it in translation. Yeah, and and <coughs> interesting, and you know, this is the thing that is so interesting and and uh, enlightening about this particular about your film, Rabin, in his own words, is that he was prescient. It, throughout his career, and I, I don't think we've given enough due to the fact that this film is told by him. His story is told through rare archival footage, home movies, recordings, all kinds of uh, uh, different platforms that he's that he addressed us from in this film. And he, throughout it, he comes out as, as someone who really could see down down the road. He could see where we were going, not only uh, Israel, but also the United States. It's really quite remarkable. Yeah, I, I think I think what's interesting is when I constructed the film, so I I wanted to be able to tell the story in his own voice, but also true to the time that he, he said that. For mm-hmm. example, it, uh, when he talks about this political situation in the 60s, he, my recording in the film, it's from the 60s, not in perspective in old, in, in old age interview. Mm-hmm. So that's what's amazing in the film, that in the 70s we got the rare recording of the record that is already in 1973. He is willing to give the territory back to Egypt in order to get peace. Yeah. And that's a radical statement. That was off the record. Well, also, he said that if we're not going to get solution with the Palestinians in 1976, Israel will become an apartheid state. Yeah. Again, this is the 70s. This is not the 90s when Oslo Agreement was signed. Right. Well, again, I, I think, you know, it's something, and in, in, in some ways, the political shift of the, of Israel, which I think, I, I'll say it if you won't, has become dramatically more conservative, right-wing, whatever the the phrase you want to use, than it was back, and you look at the times that you're talking about, the 70s and into the 80s, there was room for a lot, of, it seemed that there was a lot of room yeah, for political no. discourse and disagreement, and, and but at least there was some respect for those positions, I think... Uh, Go ahead. This is, I think your observation is completely right. When I grew up and I was an high school student, it was a legit uh, argument at school to ask, this is occupied territory, this is kept territory, or liberated territories. And now, 
when you express that idea, they put you like in an extremist leftist. That's why this film is so important, mm-hmm. because the, the idea that expressed in the film was expressed by the chief of staff of the Israeli military and by the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is, it's remarkable. And again, I think I would make the same argument about the United States in many ways. Things that were considered mainstream in the 70s and 80s are now considered undiscussable in terms of political discourse. And I, I, we, could, we could go on for a long time about why that might have happened, but it is interesting to see this sort of parallel between our two, these two countries and how they have become so Shifted far off there. Yeah, um, from what they were. Uh, well, let me talk a little bit about what, sort of the, uh, the process question for you here. How was it that you were able to come into um, this, this material? Uh, was it hard to gather it up, and did you... Yeah, go ahead. I think it's uh, <laughs> when I start making the, the film. Of course, people challenge challenge me. Can will I be able to tell the story by only one person's voice? Especially mm-hmm. that they consider Robin's voice as a very slow. But when I found <laughs> the recording from the sixty, his voice was completely cigarette. It was a lot less cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was he was smoking almost softly, and you f- and you almost discovered a person with a a very a tender tone when he speaks, Yes, a lot of humor, and uh, you really get to know him. So I think uh, we, we had a ton of, of uh, materials, and, uh, as, and the, all what was the, belongs to Rabin's family, it, uh, they gave it to the Rabin Center, so we didn't have to ask them directly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and over that, in that center, there were almost more than 800 hours of, of tapes that uh, they kept there from the for his press secretary and no one went over through them and uh, and that's where we found uh, most of our jewels in the film well it, it it's really a beautiful film I, again i just want our listeners to, listeners to understand if they want to understand the world so much of the the world politics uh flows through this part of the world and particularly in israel and its relationship to its neighbors and how this all plays out and it's so fascinating. Not only do we see and hear Yitzhak Rabin, but we also see people like Moshe Dayan. We see people yeah. like Shimon Peres, Benjamin Netanyahu, all of all of the players who have factored very prominently in the Middle East and 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 where we're at today uh, is very traceable to his life. He's such a central figure in the in the history of Israel. Yeah, and I think it, the film works in both ways. One way you 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 feel that you get to know him personally more than you know a normal normal politician, and uh, that's part of it. And the part, the other part, it's almost uh, uh, you get out of the film, I think, with the feeling that you can support Israel mm-hmm. and truly support Israel, but not support the right wing uh, policy. Yeah. A friend you, don't of, you don't have to support the settlement if you support Israel. It's the opposite. I think you support more the Israel if you support the peace process. Right. A, a friend of mine who uh, happens to be a, a, a politician here in, in the United States, and he's also Jewish, and he's, he's uh, whenever this comes up as part of a sort of a policy uh, discussion, he says, I can fully support the, the, you know, Israel, the state of Israel without... But at the same time, completely disagree with the policies of the uh, of the governance, um, and I think that's a distinction that often gets lost. 
And of course, because we are a democracy. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm just curious. Um, now the film. Uh, by the way, you well, we're speaking with uh, Irez Lofer, the director yes. and uh, editor of the film uh, Rabin, in his own words. Uh, you, your film background is uh, is goes back to such Academy Award nominated films as The War Room and Laura Poitras' My Country, My Country, as well as your own film that won the Israeli uh, Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2002. And other than to say Mike Brandt, I won't even try to say the rest of the title. So go, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> it's Let's Smart Me. Let Me Love You in, in let, let You love me in French. Okay, so it, and that's uh, that is uh, it's so and it was uh, also it screened at the Cannes Film Festival during the director's fortnight. Um I'm very curious about the reaction um to to your film by Israeli audiences. Oh, the the Israeli audience uh, loved it. They were so moved by it. And uh, and the feeling, uh, almost like uh, when the film ends, you you get to send. They all felt such a sense of uh, of loss and sadness, and that was because not only because of the tragic, because also they felt that they, they through the film they they got to know a great person, and they got attached to him. So then the the tragedy tragedy was for his assassination was even sadder. Mm-hmm. Even more profound. Is there also a sense, and I don't want to put words in your mouth or the audience's mouth, that, uh, but was there a sense of lost opportunity in watching his life and the, the sort of the things that he's saying or that he tried to accomplish? Is that a sense that, that you oh, feel? Yeah, of, yeah. Course. of course, because you can see that uh, uh, there was such a big progress. And of course, they try to stop the peace process from the Israeli right wing, from the Jewish right wing, and from the Hamas, yeah. and from the extremist Palestinians. Yeah. And it, it's always like in a peace process. If you look in South Africa, after Nelson Mandela and the Clark signed the peace agreement the last three years before the free election, people were killed there more than in all the apartheid time. Yeah. So, the, so it's like oh, in that time when they signed the agreement, Rabin and, uh, and Arafat, all the extremists try to stop it. And each time after each terror attack, it was very hard to Rabin, but he kept going. Yeah. And he kept going. And that's kind of a, a strong message that's coming out of the film. You don't make peace with your friends. You're making peace with your enemies. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to like him. That, you don't have to like them also. You know, and, and also another thing about your film, uh, Rabin, in his own words, is also we get a glimpse into his, his life as a, a husband and uh, the, you know, there's there. Are, uh, it's a very it's a very uh, well-rounded portrait of him, um, and I I was particularly struck in just sort of his demeanor. Um, he over time I could understand what you were saying earlier about his voice. The cadence in his voice changed. Uh, he really took on so much in terms of his political ambition and um in in regard to the future of Israel. And then he had there were some issues in his private life, and throughout it all, he he just seemed to be doggedly determined I, I just saw a very uh steady per, 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 um sort of moving forward with what he wanted to accomplish in your film it really is a very um very heartening kind of portrait of him as yeah. a person uh, yeah. and also i uh in order to make it uh i think also when I, you construct a film like that it was uh, in the end i just dis- uh, I decided to 
to tell it chronologically. Yeah. Because I think if I will try to try to do it according to subjects, you know, like war, Palestinians, uh, love, then you will lose the sense of uh, the character. Then you think maybe the the editor is smart to put it that way, but not. But then it w- wouldn't be his own words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was very important for me to to make it uh, seems that. Uh, that's the way he wanted to tell you, but of course we know it's the way I put it. But yeah, but 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 I think when you sit we sit in the theaters, you you immerse into that world that he tells you that twenty years after he was assassinated. Right. Well, it's a beautiful film, and 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 it, it's it's uh, you couldn't have somehow um, rewritten history with with this. There's this is too there's too much. He- Tech context and 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 uh, history here in the film it it renders itself uh, a, yeah. a very moving portrait of him and um, I, I'm so grateful <laughs> they were able that we've been able to to talk about this and it's yeah. again Rabin in his own words. Uh, uh, I'm so grateful to you for your kind words. Oh my my pleasure my pleasure and uh, you know and there, I I see you know a number of films that have come out of Israel of of late that. Uh, um, sort of, I think there's some reassessment going on. There was a, a documentary that came out about the uh, the former heads of uh, the Israeli intelligence, and I've forgotten the name of it, uh, where they discussed sort of oh, the, the the gate the gatekeeper the gatekeeper. It was very frank terms about where where as as intelligence as people whose job is to protect Israel. Where oh. they, where we are and where they are and how we can get you know uh, to can, a better future. Can I add another uh, yeah. distinction? Yeah. Uh, you know because I think uh, for those two films you see the distinction between hardliners as you call it here yeah. that they are doing it from from security reason. Right. Right. And not from a religious nationalistic chauvinism right. reason. Right. And that's a different. Yeah. I that's agree. a different that also Rabin was a hardliner. Yes. But when. When it comes, you understand that this is distinction, oh. and most of this uh, Mossad, uh, as you uh, yeah. as you describe in the Gatekeeper, they were non-religion. Right. No, and uh, there's, I mean, there was a, I mean, there's been a, a number of, uh, in in my opinion, a number of films that have come out of late that I I think uh, I hope uh, that it's a political perspective that is gaining more and more um, weight within the electorate, and hopefully moving forward. I mean, there's a lot of parties that have to come together from the Arab side and the, and the Israeli side. And obviously, Rabin was, he saw this, he saw what needed to happen. And uh, for a lot of reasons, it was he was not able to see that happen in his lifetime. So um, I want to thank you so much. Uh, Erez uh, Laufer, the director of the film, uh, Rabin in his own words, it is opening here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Royal Theater um, today. And uh, we look forward to uh, getting a lot of people out there to see it, and then also to your future work. I hope you'll come back and join us again on Film School. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, being here. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.